Would you open God's precious holy word to Ephesians 2, and we've come to verses 11 through 13. Ephesians 1 is where we learned of God's eternal planning for his own people. Ephesians 2 teaches us, begins to teach us how God worked out this eternal plan in time. In the first 10 verses of Ephesians 2, we saw how God moves upon us as we are as we have revealed to us the doctrine of sin and then the way of salvation. Now that continues here. When one reads the Bible, the fact that there is an Old Testament with, with Old Testament people and then there's a, a New Testament where there are those people but then there, are, there is an addition of the rest of the people, the Gentiles, we are moved to learn and study how that is viewed in the mind of God and the importance to us that it holds those of us who are Gentiles in the time of the church. So this is, we, we've studied this part already, but it by the language in chapter 1 early in the book of, of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, we, we saw how this is a circulatory letter. We saw from the language how it's not just for the Ephesians, but there was a time when the letter in its circulation made its way to the Ephesians, but it also is intended for the saints. Now that would be you and me. These saints and the area, the place, the, the geographical place where the letter is being circulated initially early in the church would be to those, those churches primarily comprised of Gentiles. So what are we to think about this? The message is, generally speaking, we are one in Christ. We are in Christ. God has placed us in Christ, reconciled us with himself. By the time we get to the Ephesians, by the time we get to the New Testament, after the death and burial and resurrection of Christ and the birth of the church on, at Pentecost, on Pentecost, and the dispersion of the church uh, early in the book of Acts, the, the circumstances that befall the Christians in Jerusalem, forcing them into all of Judea and then into Samaria, and ultimately by his apostles and one specifically appointed apostle, Paul, moving the church, moving the, the spirit, moving through the world as the church moves into the world as well. Now there are things 
about the Old Testament that in a composite sense are precursor to what happens by the will of God in the New Testament and in the church. The church is not Israel, although in some spiritual ways there are teachings that we can, we're of course circumcised in our hearts uh, and we understand the spirit of being a true Jew and, and true Israel. But Romans 9, 10, 11, of course, as well as other parts of the Bible, teach us that the church now is inclusive of Jews and Gentiles. Along the way in the Old Testament, there was a Gentile here and there who joined himself to Israel, proselytes of their faith, because he came to realize that the true and living God is the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But now in the time of the church, the Holy Spirit has fallen, the gospel is moving outward, and in Acts 15, the council at Jerusalem, it was reported not just by Paul, but also by Peter, who had had his experience with Cornelius, that God was doing the same thing and showing the same signs among the Gentiles that he showed to the Jews on the day of Pentecost. So it was agreed by the apostles that a Gentile, you don't have to become a Jew to become a Gentile. We struggled with that when we studied through Galatians not long ago. But how are we to view as Gentiles, not knowing that much, you know, these Gentiles didn't grow up in a, a, a Jewish home. They, they didn't celebrate the, the feasts and the, the things, the rituals of Judaism. How are we to understand, now that we are in Christ, the thing that has happened to us? What will God say to us as Gentiles to make us understand the profundity of our salvation that God in eternity had planned for us to be in Christ and works it out in time? Here, the Holy Spirit, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, tells us to remember Remember how far away you are, were from Christ and how blessed you are now in Christ. Salvation and the separating of God's own from the rest of the world is an orderly and powerful process that only God could accomplish. How then, as a Gentile, am I to understand how really bad off I was in the state of being lost? Well, let's look at it here. I want to I bring out eight thoughts for us in verses 11 and 12 and 13. And it begins in verse 11. So remember... 
that you Gentiles in the flesh being called the uncircumcision by that being called the circumcision first. Across history, as the Old Testament people developed, their history developed, their relationship with God developed. Here's the true living God. Here are the people. Uh, he, you know, he could have called anybody. Why did he call, the, why did he call through Abraham? Uh, you'll have, we'll, we'll study that, I guess, in eternity. He could have, he could have called... I don't know, he, he could have called the Russians. or I mean, it, it's by the will of God. It's an orderly thing. But the truth is, in the Old Testament, he called and separated Israel to himself for his purpose. So they were the recipients of the divine oracles, we're told. They, they received, it was, it was the Old Testament people, the prophets, who received the word of God. They had the temple. By the, by the decree of God, by the word of God, the existence of Israel and then the temple was to show the world there was a way to God. There was only one way. And in that day, of course, that way was taught in the Old Testament. And God's people, of course, were to be a priesthood to the world, but they failed. One of the things that developed in the heart of Israel was a hatred for Gentiles. Even though their Bible, the Old Testament, our part of our Bible, taught them that there would come a time when the Gentiles would be included, there was, a, there was for them a covenant within the covenants, and they just seemed to turn away from all that. And, and there was a distinction that, that developed between the Jew and the Gentile. It's alluded to here, you Gentiles in the flesh were called uncircumcision by those who are circumcised. It was a, it was a, it was a term of humiliation. What awful word could you call somebody today that would be the worst humiliation you could speak to them? I, a couple of words come to my mind, and I'm not going to repeat them. But this was a term that was a term of hatred and spite. Remember, though, in the flesh, there was a difference. Point number two. It was a physical difference that was obvious physically. Because it was made by hands. It wasn't a spiritual thing that you, that you could see. It was a physical thing. And the Jews fell into the trap of making the physical difference between who they were and the rest of the world. Gentiles because circumcision was a sign of the covenant that God had made with his people in the Old Testament. So this became, this became a thing of pride and arrogance to Israel. Because it was a physical thing. Now, still, what Paul says, what the Spirit says, remember this. Even though it fell into misuse, the rite of circumcision, 
It still was there, and the truth is that it had come from God because God had made a physical difference between Israel and the rest of the world. And as a Gentile, you were left out of that. So as a Gentile, if we take this physical sign as being a sign as it was given by God to his people in the Old Testament, what all was inclusive, what all was inclusive in the Old Testament, and how are we to understand what it means to be the people of God? Well, the, the best way to define this and to understand it is to consider the promises that God had made to the Old Testament people. The, the way that God had spoken to his people and what it meant for God to call them his elect. Here were, the great, here were the great benefits that God had told them in the Old Testament that Gentiles were not a part of. And, and these, are, these, are, these are founded on a promise that goes all the way through the Bible. We'll talk about that in a minute, God willing. Thought number three. Gentiles, those who are in Jesus, saints, in this case they included the word in Ephesus, but saints at Shiloh, whoever, wherever. Thought number three. You were at that time separate from Christ. You were, you were, you belonged to a caste of people who were Christless. It's, it's, I've, I've, my, my, you know, my daddy was a preacher, my granddaddy was, I mean, I've grown up in church and the old saying is true of me that is bandied about. I was in church, you know, nine months before I was ever born. This is the way I grew up. It's, it's, it's inconceivable for me to think of being Christless, separate from Christ. There are going to be some still great teachings left as we go through Ephesians, the richness of salvation. But the other side of that is to be separate from Christ. The Old Testament people developed a doctrine that began, it started in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. This, this wonderful yet strange character, the seed of the woman, well, a woman doesn't carry the seed. The man carries the seed. So the woman would bring forth a Savior, not needing the man, a virgin-born Christ. So, so this, this promise starts right after the fall of man. As soon as our race had fallen, God immediately gave this promise of a Christ. Now, he wasn't called Christ. And as the doctrine is developed in the Old Testament, he's called many things. By the time the doctrine of the Christ gets to King David, 
King David calls him the name. Doesn't even know what his name is. He's called by many things this promised Savior, the seed of woman, the virgin-born one. He's referred to by prophets and patriarchs by many names or references until we get to the account of his birth. And finally the angel said, you shall call his name Yeshua, Jesus. All right, so this doctrine was peculiarly given to the people of God in the Old Testament. A great Savior, someday, born of a woman. Now, we could spend a long time talking about the development of that doctrine in the Old Testament. Let's just say it had reached its pinnacle and sharp differences about the truth of who the Christ is doctrinally in the Old Testament and the sayings and traditions of who he was or is or would be by Pharisees and others had become so distinct that Christ, of course, himself spent those three years teaching the people the real doctrine of the Christ. And we know from the Old Testament, which was rejected by the, by the Jews of Jesus' day, that he would suffer, he would die. It was a horrible description of his death, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, and Zechariah as well. But there was a development. The point is, nobody else in the world had given a promise of a Savior. So the rest of the world, Gentiles included, just drifting. The Stoics used to say that human history renewed itself every 3,000 years. That in a 3,000 year cycle, man would implode and then he'd have to start all over again. Well, that's kind of pitiful to think that according to their science, we, 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 we stand upon an elephant who stands upon five columns that support him, who stands on the shoulders of a tireless atlas, who struggles and walks through an endless cosmic Nothing. And we're up there on top of that turtle. Until, you know how slow turtles are. It'll take that turtle 3,000 years to get around to where it needs to be and then it'll have to start all over again. Well, this is some of the finest beliefs of, of the days of the Gentiles in darkness. Absolutely no knowledge of a true living almighty God. Only one God. It was this truth that was revealed to Israel necessarily placed within that truth is the fact that we are sinners and we cannot stand in the presence of our Creator 
without a Savior. And countless sacrifices were made by them, first in their tabernacle and then in their temple, to, to remind themselves that they were sinners in need of the blood of a sinless sacrifice. And it was the job of the Levitical priesthood to teach them that this would culminate in the Christ. We didn't have that as Gentiles. Look at the awful things that Gentiles believed. Consider the, the idols they carved for themselves. And their gods were only limited to their particular nation and was never considered to be a supreme god, just a god of many gods. They had no Christ. They had no presence of God, no promise of God fulfilled in the God-man, the second of the Trinity, God the Son, who would somehow lay aside his glory and, and lay aside attributes of his deity and become a man and die the death of a cross. To take upon himself the sins of his own. There was no concept of that among Gentiles. They had no Savior, no Christ, no hope of tomorrow. In complete darkness, that promise was given to Israel. Given to the circumcision. And circumcision was a symbol that they carried these promises. There was a physical difference. But that physical difference was not a connotation for Gentiles because it was made by hands. The circumcision of the New Testament is the circumcision of the heart. You were at that time separate from Christ. No promises that rested on Christ. No eternal salvation. No position of deity and almightiness. No Lord of lords and King of kings who could accommodate himself as only God could do to the form of a man and do what needed to be done to pay the penalty for the sins of his own. No redeemer. You were separate from Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're outside of Christ. It's an unthinkable thing to me. Unimaginable to be outside of Christ. Fourth thought. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. There is a kingdom that God has promised. Both testaments are replete with the promises of God's kingdom. God's people are included in that kingdom. We are specifically taught in Philippians that we are citizens of that kingdom. Christ heavily 
relies upon that, gives us that teaching in his Sermon on the Mount. Citizens of a kingdom, the kingdom of God. What other kingdom could ever boast of the power and the eternalness of the kingdom of God? Nothing. That promise to be taught to the world, to be appreciated by the world, was deposited within Israel. A type of it, it's a theocracy, a type of it was set up. Especially when David was king. But of course, the people failed. And the time came in Ezekiel... When God said he'll be the last son of David until the son of David comes to be the king. So we're waiting on that. It's been that long. But they they were no citizens of a kingdom. They had no protection from God. None. No security. No rights of citizenship. Just in a state of wandering and lostness in darkness. Again, separated from the promises of Christ, which are culminated in the kingdom, kingdom citizenship. We don't have any of that as Gentiles. Understood kingdoms and kings, but not that the time finally would come when the kingdom of God and the king of kings would bring an end to the times of the nations, the times of the Gentiles, and set up forever. The kingdom of God. First on planet earth in the time of the millennium. And then finally given up to God the Father. According to 1 Corinthians. And then the new heaven and the new earth. And the holy city New Jerusalem. Comes down from heaven. And establishes. Is established on new earth. Still reigned and ruled over. By the Christ of God who died to save us, who lives to keep us. That's another promise, being separate from Christ. You don't have an intercessor. You don't have an intermediary. From where we are to where the Father is, there's no one, there's no one for us seated on a throne of grace. Unless and until it becomes for us a throne of grace, it is a great white throne of crushing judgment. That will finally cast in the second resurrection the unsaved, extracting them from Hades and casting them into the lake of fire. Don't have anybody in heaven right now interceding for me when I sin. I haven't stopped sinning. You haven't either. I need help. I need all the help that God will give me. He gives it to me in Christ. Separate from that. Alienated from this king. Alienated from this kingdom. Alienated from the rights of citizenship. Alienated from an eternal home. Alienated from the dominion of God. No promises of God. No protection by God. I'm lost. Without these things. I have no connection. To the great eternal plan of God. 
Thought number five. Strangers to the covenants of the promise. I want you to see this. Promise is in the singular. Covenants are in the plural. Now that, that composes, comprises the major, I guess, theme of action. I'm not going to call somebody. I'm going to look at my Hebrew text. The promise is the promise that God gave to Abram in Genesis 12. Now, that promise then begins to work itself out in covenants that God made. With it among them, the new covenant. So, let's see here. God called him out of the land. Said, I want you to go to the land. I'm going to make sure I'm going to make you a, a uh, uh, I'm going to make you a great nation and make Shemcha, make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Here comes the promise. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who and him who blesses you, I or I will bless, and him who curses you, I will curse I or. Here's, here it is, the promise. Vecha, Abram, in you. All, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is the promise. Abram, Abraham, in you. In your seed, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and in you. All the families. So what had to start out? I'll make you a great nation. A great nation. I'll bless those who bless you. You have my blessing. Sojourning and your seed sojourning through time. I'll take care of you and your seed. And I will curse those who curse you. Through time, I'll take care you will be preserved. This promise will never fail. What's the promise? In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, you didn't have 
any of the covenants that sprang forth from the promise. You were strangers. Strangers. Strangers to the covenants. Zenoi. Boy, we've heard a lot about xenophobia today, I guess. There's the root of the word. Zenoi, you're a stranger. Stranger. Strangers to the covenants of the promise. I don't have the blessing of God. I'm strangers to the covenants of the promise. I'm not in there. I'm not in there. Remember, this is how you were. You don't belong to anything regarding the promise or the covenants. Which produces thought number six. Having no hope. Hopeless. A dark, cursed, Christless grave. And I will slide right through down to Sheol, Hades, hell. Because I have no hope. Hopeless. No thought of the glory of seeing law, of seeing loved ones of finally being raised from the dead and walking in glorification and ultimately being a part of that wonderful, a citizen of that kingdom to live forever and experience the glories and joy having no hope. And hope doesn't belong to you. And without God in the Cosmo, root words cosmos, the, the orderly system of things. So that's inclusive of everything in the time-space continuum. I have, look, I'm without God. I, I can't go to heaven. I'm without God. There's a, that's part of the orderly system, part of the cosmos. I'm without God there. I'm without God in this world. I'm without God in the next world. I don't have him in life. I don't have him in death. You have no hope. Without God. In God's orderly system. But here comes thought number eight. But now. Oh. You see that? day. But now, or however, now, in Christ Jesus, you, the ones who were out there wandering in hopelessness with nothing, spiritually dead, not even having a connection to the Old Testament, but now, you who were so far away have become near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ applied to your life. 
because you were you are one of those for whom God had eternally planned in Ephesians 1 there's no more Jew and Gentile there's no more distinction later on we learn there's no male no female no Jew no barbarian or Greek or whatever we're all in Christ brought near by the blood of Christ there's no other way all of those awful distinctions that belong to the Gentiles in the previous slide all of those things they disappear they're gone Christ did away with them he brought me to himself and now by the blood of Christ I'm no longer far off but I am in Christ Jesus there's nothing else I need this was planned for me from before the foundation of the world and God all the way through time even through the Old Testament was protecting me and what he describes that he planned for in eternity he now reveals how he works it out in time And the subsection here would be, we are one in Christ Jesus. And I think it goes all the way through verse about 18 or so. And we'll pick that up next time. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Thank everyone who follows us online in these interesting days. So we're going to be dismissed. But before we are, if you're here without Christ... You don't have to leave that way. There are people, we have deacons and their wives in rooms right across the hall there. As you exit, just step in there and share with them that you want to be saved. If you need to be baptized, having been saved, they can help you with that. If you're already saved and you're a member of another church and you want to place your life as a Christian here in Shiloh, they can help you with that as well. They're prepared to talk with you and pray with you about any of those things as you exit. All right, let's pray. We'll be dismissed from this room. Oh, Lord, we were so far away, but brought near by the blood of Christ. You know that we worship you today, and we will worship you forever. For saving us and bringing us to yourself. God, fill our hearts with worship and praise all the days of our lives and let us grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. You're dismissed.